your Bibles with me and turn them to the book of 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. And this has been one of those situations. I, uh, I, I have a file in my computer. It's called Sermon Ideas. And as I listen to other preachers preach and, and, and things such as that, sometimes I get ideas for sermons. And so I jot them down and I put them in this file. And I keep them there, and when pastor asks me to preach, I, I look through those, and I, I, I picked some that I think would be uh, applicable to us at that time, and uh, I, I make messages, and I usually, usually remove them from that file. And uh, so, the, earlier last week, uh, I was working on a message on discipleship, and maybe if you noticed in Sunday's bulletin, that was going to be the subject matter of tonight, discipleship. And... Uh, as I was finishing up the second message on Friday, I said, you know, that sounds real familiar. So I started looking through my archives, and I found out I preached that message last summer. So I said, well, I can't do that one again, so I threw it out. So I started on another message called The Grace of God. That was one other one of my ideas in there. And I was working on that Monday, and all of a sudden Monday night, I... I looked in my archive file again, and there was a message on the grace of God. And so I threw that one out. And last night I was at home, and I was really asking the Lord, Lord, what am I going to preach? What in the world am I going to preach on? And this morning I was reading from some devotional materials, and I got the Lord laid this message on my heart. And so that's what I'm going to preach tonight and next Wednesday evening. We're going, I'm going to preach a message on the character of the saints. The character of the saints. Stand with me if you would. We're going to read from 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning at verse number 7. And we'll read through verse 10. Unto you, therefore, which believe, he is precious. But unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, unto also, uh, whereunto also they were appointed. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, uh, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do praise you and thank you for this time we have together. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would take this message tonight and apply it to our hearts, help each of us to Examine ourselves, examine our character as saints, as believers. And Lord, convict us where we need to be convicted and encourage us where we need to be encouraged. And I pray that all that we will do and say tonight will glorify you and will honor your name. And we'll thank you and we'll praise you for this. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Look again at verse number 9. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness 
into his marvelous light. What is character? By definition, character is the inherent complex of attributes that determines a person's moral and ethical actions and reactions. Now, I want you to notice in verse 9, again, the adjectives used here to describe God's children. Peter used adjectives such as chosen, royal, holy, and peculiar. Our position in Christ is clearly established here as being different, as being separate from the world and its spirit and its nature. In other words, true believers exist as aliens in this world. All of us tonight understand the different cultures, uh, that understand that different cultures exhibit different character. People from different cultures, people from different backgrounds, people from different uh, parts of the world have different traditions. Amen? They have different beliefs, different values. And all of these differences will affect the manner in which they live their lives. Some behaviors that some people may find as unusual are to them commonplace. And these differing characteristics, uh, generally speaking, identify a person's heritage. As a rule, we all try to hold on to those characteristics and pass them from generation to generation, that we might preserve this heritage, that we might preserve this way of life. Often is the time I, 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 I think about my culture, my heritage, where I'm from, uh, the people of South Louisiana, the Cajun people, and I want my children to know that. I want my children to understand their heritage. I want them to be familiar with their culture. I don't want to lose that culture. I don't want, I don't want in, my, in my family to generations down the road, all of our family cultures, all of the things that we value as people, I don't want to lose them. I don't want it to disappear. So we, we try to preserve our heritage. We try to preserve our way of life. Yet over the centuries, our individual heritages have commingled with others. I can remember in, in my own home, hometown, for instance, in South Louisiana, when the oil industry boomed in the 50s and 60s and 70s, people from all over the world moved into our area. The population in our area quadrupled. And we were affected by other cultures. When I went to school, as I went to elementary school and, and junior high school and high school, I made friends with people from different cultures. And, and in some ways, they affected my, my own heritage. They, they changed my way of thinking and things such as that. And we've all experienced that in our lives. And our heritages have commingled until... We have the melting pot that we call America today. One culture mixes with another culture, and before long, we can no longer easily identify a person's heritage. We can no longer easily say, well, you look like one culture, but you speak like another, and you act like another. And that's because we have 
our cultures have mixed and, and mingled. In fact, many generations today do not even know their own heritage. They have become so diluted that they, are no long, that they no longer even know what characteristics make up their heritage. And this is where I believe we find Christianity today. Many years ago, some of you would know the, these people if I named them, so I won't name them, but many years ago, a very prominent family in this church decided to leave, and, and when I spoke to them, I, I, I was speaking to them about their, their spiritual heritage, and they told me, they said, we don't even know if we are really Baptists or not. And that was an interesting statement. But the vast majority of professing Christians today have no certainty as to what characteristics constitute true believers. Many people today would not have any idea about how true believers should really, the characteristics they should really possess. The term Christian faith today has traveled down the same highway as the diverse cultures in America until we've arrived at a diluted Christianity today, one that does not have a distinct nature. The widely accepted Christianity today is a denominational smorgasbord and has become corrupted by the heretical doctrines of false faiths. Churches today are, 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 and I'm not talking about people being converted, but I mean many churches today are, are filled with Catholics, with assemblies of God, with word of life, word of faith, free will uh, congregations, fundamentalists, Protestants, Presbyterians, Episcopalians, Lutherans, and the list goes on and on and on. And all have come together to form an ecumenical stew. I have a stew at home right now cooking in a crock pot. It's got meat in there. It's got carrots. It's got potatoes and onions. It's got celery. It's got salt. It's got pepper. Mm, let's, let's dismiss and go to my house and eat. But that's what you have in Christianity today. People slide in and out of churches here and there, jump in this one for a while, jump in this one for a while. No one ever professing faith, no one ever committing to a belief, just a bunch of people, just, just an ecumenical group. It's just a big old stew, and let me say, it's a poison stew. Look with me in your Bibles. You should have it open right now to 1 Peter chapter 2. Let's go one book over, 2 Peter chapter 2. I said this this ecumenical group that we find in so many churches today is is a poisonous stew. Look at verse number 12 of chapter number 2, and we'll read through to verse 18. We read here, But these, as natural brute beasts, made to be taken and destroyed, speak evil of the things that they understand not, and shall utterly perish in their own corruption." And shall receive the reward of unrighteousness, as they that count it pleasure to riot in the daytime. Spots they are, and blemishes, sporting themselves with their own deceivings, while they feast with you, having eyes full of adultery, 
and that cannot cease from sin, beguiling unstable souls and heart they have exercised with covetous practices, cursed children which have forsaken the right way and are gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Bozar, who loved the wages of unrighteousness, but was rebuked for his iniquity. The dumb ass speaking with man's voice forbade the madness of the prophet. These are wells without water, clouds that are carried with a tempest, to whom the midst of darkness is reserved forever. For when they speak great swelling words of vanity, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through much wantonness, those that were clean escaped from them who live in error. It's poisonous stew. This ecumenical group that runs around the country saying, oh, let's all unite, let's all be one, let's, not, let's, let's agree to disagree, let's, let's find our common points and don't worry about our different points. Go ahead and eat of that stew. And it will poison your soul. And it will rob you of the Lord's blessings in your life. And this same fate awaits our children and our grandchildren in this nation. Unless God's people wake up and step out in faith and return to the heritage left to us by our Baptist forefathers. Look with me, if you would. Let's turn your Bibles. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Now, we're going to turn to a lot of Scripture tonight, so I'm going to ask you to be quick. This is Bible drill time. When you found it, jump up and read. No, I'm joking. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. When you found that, find verse number 14. I said it's time in America that we return to the heritage left to us by our Baptist forefathers. Not by a bunch of ecumenical preachers, but by our Baptist forefathers, men such as John Gill and Arthur Pink and men such as that, men of great wisdom and intelligence in the Word of God, men who, who, who believed in the historical uh, doctrines of the faith. Look at verse number 14 with me. Be ye not... You might want to underline underline that word, not. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols. For ye are the temple of the living God, as God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Be ye separate. Come out from among them. Not yoked together with them, but come out from among them. We must learn of and return to the tenets of true Christianity. So, 
With this in mind, I will spend this evening and next Wednesday evening examining characteristics that make up a true believer. Now, this list of certainly of attributes I'm going to give you tonight and next Wednesday is not complete and exhaustive. There are many other characteristics to consider. However, given the time restraints that we have, I have chosen some of the more prominent characteristics to consider. So let's tonight discuss just a few of those, and we'll finish up next Wednesday evening. Tonight, number one, let me state that true believers are called and chosen. True believers are called and chosen. In Matthew chapter 7 and verse 21, we read the words of our Savior as he states, Not every one that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven... Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils? And in thy name done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Notice the very first three words of verse 21. Not every one. I'm afraid that our churches today are populated with people who are not true believers. They profess to be followers of Christ, but they are in reality tares among the wheat. In Matthew 22 and verse 11, we read, And when the king came in to see the guests, he saw there a man which had not on a wedding garment. And he saith unto him, Friend, how camest thou in hither? not having a wedding garment. And he was speechless. Then said the king to the servants, Bind him hand and foot and take him away and cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. I want you to notice here that there's a call and a choice. God makes the call and God makes the choice. Many are called, he says here, and many are called under the administration of the Great Commission. Many will hear the call to repentance as as you and I and other faithful Christians, as we go out and as we witness, many will hear the call. Many will hear the call. And some will respond as we go out and as we... we, uh, witness for Christ, many people will respond. However, not everyone that responds will do so of an effectual calling. But many will do so of fleshly designs. Not by the divine call of Christ, but rather for the benefit of the flesh. Now in John chapter 10 and verse 26, Jesus states, But ye believe not, because ye are not of my sheep. As I said unto you, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. You see, true believers uh, are of the election of grace. They, they hear the voice of Christ, and they respond to that, and only that voice. We must not tonight lose sight of the truth of Jesus' ministry. 
If Jesus did intend to save all men, he would have spent his time on this earth speaking to every man he met. However, the truth is that he walked through throngs of mankind to find the exact ones he was looking for. And he was looking for the saints of God. In Luke chapter 19 and verse 10, we read, For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. Now, we must make note here that Jesus did not say, I came to save the lost. Rather, he said, he came to seek and to save that which was lost. He came to seek, he came to call, and he came to save. Now, the, the word that, the article that, that, which is used here, is referring to the elect saints of God, uh, those who were elect from the foundation of the world, that which was lost, lost at the fall of Adam, at the fall of mankind. True believers have an assurance of their salvation. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 16, we read, The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. We know our Savior. We read this earlier, and again we read it, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. You see, true believers have been called by God. And true believers have been chosen by God. You and I were witness to, just as all men uh, that, that, that we go out to see, we witness to these men. Now they hear my voice when I witness. But if my voice is the only voice they hear, they will not be chosen. Because it is God that calls, and it is God that saves. It is God who, that chooses who he will save. He will save whomever he chooses to save according to his sovereign will and purpose. Does that lessen our responsibility to witness to every man? No, it increases it. Because we have no idea who the elect are, but we do know that there is an election according to grace. And we must go and we must proclaim. And many will hear. And many will, will, will make a decision, but that decision will not be an effectual decision. It will be a decision of, of human design, of, of, according to human purpose. Maybe, maybe to satisfy some need in their life. But unless the call is the effectual call of God, it, it falls on deaf ears. So true believers are called and chosen. But then secondly tonight, I want us to see that true believers are contrite. They are contrite. In Psalm 34, and verse 17, we read, The righteous cry, and the Lord heareth, and delivereth them out of all their troubles. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart, and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. Now, contrite is, is defined as feeling or expressing pain or sorrow for sins or offenses. Now, this again is another convoluted characteristic of many professing Christians tonight. The truth of the matter is, is these feel no sorrow or remorse for their actions. Many professing Christians today feel no guilt 
for the things they do. No sorrow in committing sins. No remorse for offending God. This we see by, by their practices within their own churches often. By the, with, with, the, with the lewd and, 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 and seductive, uh, I don't even know what I want to say. It's pretty lewd and pretty, <laughs> pretty disgusting. Yet these profess to be Christians. They feel no guilt, no sorrow, no remorse. Turn with me to Jeremiah. Let's all get there as quickly as we can. Jeremiah chapter 8. True believers are contrite. They, are, they, they have genuine sorrow and remorse for the sin in their life. We feel regret. We feel sorrow. We feel, we feel pain for our actions before we were saved. And, and sometimes, unfortunately, for our actions after we're saved. But look with me at Jeremiah chapter 8. Let's look at verse number 5. And we'll read through to verse 12. Why then is this people of Jerusalem slidden back by a perpetual backsliding? They hold fast deceit. They refuse to return. I hearkened and heard, but they spake not aright. No man repented him of his wickedness, saying, What have I done? Everyone turned to his course as the horse rusheth into the battle. Yea, the stark in the heaven knoweth her appointed times, and the turtle and the crane and the swallow observe the time of their coming. But my people know not the judgment of the Lord. How do ye say, We are wise, and the law of the Lord is with us? Lo, certainly in vain made he it. The pen of the scribes is in vain. The wise men are ashamed. They are dismayed and taken. Lo, they have rejected the word of the Lord, and what wisdom is in them? Therefore will I give their wives unto others, and their fields to them that shall inherit them. For every one from the last, even unto the greatest, is given to covetousness. From the prophet, even to the priest, every one dealeth falsely. They have healed the hurt of the daughter of my people, uh, slightly saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. And then verse 12, were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? Nay, they were not at all ashamed. Neither could they blush. Therefore shall they fall among them that fall. In the time of their visitation, they shall be cast down, saith the Lord. Such is the state of Christianity today. Unfortunately, today, Christians feel no shame at their sin. In fact, not only do they sin, but they even rejoice in those that sin alongside of them. Look with me at Romans chapter 1. Turn to Romans chapter 1. We should be able to find that pretty quickly. Romans chapter 1, and we're going to read from verses 18 through 32. Romans chapter 1, beginning at verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power in Godhead, so that they are without excuse. 
because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like the corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this cause, God gave them up unto vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meet. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind, to do those things which are not convenient. Being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, uh, deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affections, implacable, unmerciful wow what a list and you know what that describes a large part of Christianity today but look at verse 32 who knowing the judgment of God that they which commit such things are worthy of death not only do the same but have pleasure in them that do them When was the last time you turned to God and mourned over your own sins? When was the last time you you fell to your knees and confessed to God your wickedness? You say, oh, well, you know, I'm not wicked. I guarantee you we all fall in that list somewhere. Every one of us. And when was the last time that we fell on our face and mourned over our sin? When was the last time that you were brokenhearted because of the evil we see in our world today? When was the last time you sorrowed over the condition of churches in America? Or should I ask this? Have you ever felt remorse over your sins? Have you ever wept for America? and the evil that exists that our children and grandchildren must face? Have you ever sorrowed for the stagnant condition of churches, the churches of God in America today? You're going to hate me, but I want you to turn to another scripture. Nehemiah chapter 1. Everyone turn there. America is in pretty bad shape tonight. I mean, I'm not talking about necessarily financially or militarily or, 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 or things such as that, but I'm talking about spiritually. America's in pretty bad shape tonight. And you'd have to be blind to not see it. Well, in the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah learns of the, of the terrible condition of, of, his, 
of his beloved Jerusalem. He, in Nehemiah, he, he, he is given a report of the condition of Jerusalem. And I want you to see Nehemiah's reaction because I want you to see the character of a true saint of God. Let's look at verse 1 together. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. And it came to pass in the month Chislu, in the 20th year, as I was in Shushan, the palace, that Hanani, one of my brethren, came, he and certain men of Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left of the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said unto me, The remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. So, so here, um, Hananiah is given a report to, to Nehemiah about the condition of Jerusalem. Much like I'm talking tonight about the conditions of the churches in America. And in verse 4 it says, And it came to pass when I heard these words, that I sat down and wept, and mourned certain days, and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Nehemiah was heartbroken. He was contrite over the condition of Jerusalem. And you know what? Until God's people become contrite over our condition in America, things are not going to get any better. Things are not going to change. Nehemiah was brokenhearted over the condition of Jerusalem. He wept and mourned certain days, we read here. While I do not know how many days this represents, I do know that Nehemiah was brokenhearted. And when he prayed, God took action. Just imagine how much sorrow we face in America today because of a lack of sorrow on the part of God's people over the condition of our nation tonight. American Christians have become complacent. We've become comfortable with the wickedness. More than comfortable with it, we even, we even indulge ourselves in the wickedness that we see. I'm appalled at some of the things that Christians sit down and listen to and watch on television on the internet, they feel no remorse over that. Watch, watch the, some of the most vile things on YouTube and sit there and laugh. Oh, it's humorous. Huh. I won't deny that it's humorous, but it's sickening. And it's insulting to God. And as God's children, we should not be tolerant of that. We've become complacent. We've become apathetic. We don't care. We don't care. We watch, we, we watch movies, and we encourage other Christians to watch it too, and we say, oh, there's just a few bad words in it, as if that makes it any better. And one day your children are going to grow up, and they're going to be using that type of language, and I can promise you they're going to watch worse television than you watch, and they're going to be even more tolerant of wickedness than you are, and your grandchildren are going to go through the same thing. And we're going to sit back and we're going to say, well, what in the world happened? Well, Second Chronicles 7.14 gives us the solution to the entire problem. Second Chronicles 7.14, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin, and will heal 
their land. That's what we need to do in America, in Ronard Park, in Berean Baptist Church. We need to humble ourselves before our God. We need to turn from those things in our lives that are, are, are unpleasing to God. And we need to cry on our faces. And we need to, to pray. And God will hear us from heaven. And he will forgive us of our sins. And he will heal us spiritually. True believers are called and chosen. True believers are of a contrite heart. And then lastly tonight, and I'll be done, true believers are humble. True believers are humble. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 5 through 7, Peter states, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud, and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Now, the definition of humble is this, to be marked by meekness and modesty, not arrogant or prideful. Now, meekness is expressed in two ways, through submission and through patience. And modesty is the freedom of vanity or conceit. One does not need to be an expert in Scripture to realize that this is the exact opposite of man's sinful nature. Now, to be humble is not to abase oneself. It's not to, it's not to mistreat yourself or, or to, to talk down about yourself. That's not humility. Neither is depriving oneself. What is humility? When we seek to honor and glorify the Lord in our lives, when we submit to the authority and purpose of God's will, when we learn to live in contentment, satisfied with such things as God has seen fit to give us, when we with patience wait upon the Lord, then we are living in humility. Now, I can think of no greater example of this than that of Jesus himself. One more time, turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, we'll begin reading at verse number 1, we'll read through verse 11. The greatest example of humility, of, of living in humility, was the life of Jesus himself. Let's look at beginning at verse number 1. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, 
and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus set the example for humility. I could, literally, I could spend months teaching just from the 11 verses I just read. There is so much truth in there. But what about us tonight? How do we measure up? Listen, tonight I, I had no intention of standing up here and accusing anyone of anything. Please understand that. What I'm asking you to do tonight is measure yourself against the Scripture. Measure yourself against Jesus, not against me or against anyone else. But measure your own life against the Scripture and against Christ himself. And let me ask you, how do you measure up tonight in the character department? This is of vital importance. We must glorify God in our lives. That is our whole purpose in being here. It's not to make money. It's not to buy houses or cars or boats. Or it's not to amass great popularity or fame. You and I are here for one reason tonight, and that is to glorify the Lord, to glorify God by our life. And if we do so, we will, ex we will exhibit the characteristics of a true believer in our life. And others will see. And others will be drawn to Christ because of, of them seeing Christ in us. So how do you measure up tonight? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this night. Holy Spirit, I, I thank you for the truth of your word. And Lord, I, I'm, I praise you that I have the opportunity to study these verses and, and to ask myself the question... Am I living, do I possess the characteristics of a true believer? Do I show forth the love of God in my life? Does, is Christ manifested in me? For this is your will for us, that we might glorify you through our works. Not works of our own hand, not works of our own ability, works of your righteousness, works that you do through us by the Holy Spirit. Tonight, help each of us to Go away from this place and examine these truths. And if, if there be anything in our lives, Lord, that hinder us from glorifying you, then I pray that you would help us to put them away, to take them out of our lives. And we'll praise you and we'll thank you for your grace and mercy among us. For, Lord, we know that but by the, your grace, none of us would be here tonight. So we praise you and we thank you and we ask that you would help us Help us to be Christ-like in everything we do. Thank you for this night and all that have come. We ask your blessings now in Jesus' name. Amen.